Um, again, it's Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. We are continuing in the story of Jesus. We're going through the entire book of Mark. And today's message is called Remember. There's lots of remembering and lots of forgetting in today's passage. And it makes me think about myself because I'm kind of strange because I forget a lot of things. I'm very, very forgetful. Like I forget my keys. I I forgot my iPad this morning. Um, I, I actually put it in a bag. I looked in the bag that I put it in, and I looked around the house. I was asking all, the whole family, hey, did you see it? It was actually still in the bag. I just, I, I guess I didn't look carefully enough, but I forget things all the time. Um, and it, it's kind of weird because I have a crazy memory about some other things. You know, I can remember details about my life and details from movies that I've seen years ago. Maybe some of you are like this. You have selective memory. And by the way, friends, everybody has selective memory, right? You don't remember everything in life. You only remember certain things, right? For example, do you remember the last building you were in other than this church or your house? Do you remember what color the carpet was? You probably saw it. Do you remember if it was carpet? Maybe it was tile. You remember that? 
Probably not. Maybe some of you are like, it was rad. I don't know. Maybe you're just like crazy memory. I don't know. But for most of us, our minds are actually designed to filter that stuff out. Right? Some of the stuff just, your mind is like, mm, not important, right? We don't want to clutter the mind. So we don't remember everything. We all know this, right? And it's funny, how do we get the selective memory? I think we get the selective memory by selective hearing, right? My favorite example of selective hearing comes from the movie Dumb and Dumber. Have you guys seen this movie? It's really dumb, like the title, right? It's just Dumb and Dumber. It's a really dumb movie. Um, but there's this scene where this guy, like basically he's chasing this woman across uh, the country trying to give her a briefcase. And he falls in love with her just from the one time that he met her. Right? And he imagines like this life together, what it's going to be like. And when he finally meets her, returns the briefcase, he says to her, like, hey, you know, I, I, just, I just really, you know I, 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 you know, I love you and all this stuff. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, we just met. And so he's like, hey, I came a really long way, okay? I went all the way across the country. I just need to know. Please level with me. I can take it, okay? I can take the truth. All right? What are my chances? And she says, not good. He's like, okay, so not good, like one in a hundred? And she's like, more like one in a million. And his answer is, so you're telling me there's a chance? Yes! <laughs> right? So th- that's the selective hearing. He doesn't hear the million part, he hears the one part, right? <laughs> there is a chance, possibly. And friends, uh, I think a lot of us are like that. You know, we filter these things out. And there is a form of selective memory. And by the way, I think most of the times when you hear about selective memory, you hear about people talking about ways people delude themselves, especially to make themselves feel better about something. Feel better about themselves, to think they're awesome, right? That, you know, maybe there's like, like 10 failures and one success. And you only remember the success. You're like, yes, I'm a success. Right? Um, but selective memory doesn't always work that way. Um, there's this quote, and the quote is not like a really important quote, but I think it does point to um, a mystery of selective memory. I can understand that memory must be selective, else it would glut, it, else, or else it would choke on the glut of experience. Right? We already talked about that. You can't remember everything. You can't remember every detail because your mind would just be overwhelmed. Right? So we have to focus on only certain things above others. Uh, and, and so this person said, what I cannot understand is why it selects what it does. And that's the question. Why do we select the things? You know, I'm no neuroscience person or, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. <laughs> I don't know exactly how memory works. But I do know some things that are pretty self-evident, right? That sometimes we just remember novel things, things that are different. For example, you may not remember, you know, everything about this service, but I guarantee you, if somebody came out of that room right now on a tricycle in a clown suit and just didn't say anything, I just like ignored them, but they just, just went around in the tricycle and then went back into the office, you would remember that. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Some of you guys have clown phobias. <laughs> Some people are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that was a close call. I, I'm just kidding, it's really not going to happen. <laughs> but you've given me a new idea when we talk about fear. <laughs> uh, 
So we remember novel things, things that are different, things that are out of the ordinary. It catches our eye. You know, maybe some people like, like evolutionary biologists would say, oh, it's because novel information could be a threat, right? So if I'm just chilling like, like on the plains and I'm hunting and everything is as it should be, I'm just going to tune out all those details. I'm going to tune out the grass. I'm going to tune out the sky. That's not important. But if all of a sudden a saber-toothed tiger comes in my peripheral vision, I'm going to notice that. It's novel and it can be a threat. I'm going to notice threats, right? And that's important to my survival. There's a lot of reasons why we remember things. And a lot of things, they fit into a narrative, a story, right? You tend to remember stories so much better, right? So if I just say 1, 14, 17, 24, 16, 33, 104, I don't know, I just keep going, right? Would you remember any of that? Again, there might be like one of you that's like, I remember every number. Pastor Steve, I see them all in my mind. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are crazy like that. But for most of us, we won't. But do you remember the plot to Harry Potter? Some of you are like, I haven't seen Harry Potter. And then we will look at you and judge you. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> if, if you've seen Harry Potter, you loved Harry Potter, you probably remember it. You remember details. Do you ever like quote movie scenes to your friends? How do you remember that? How do I remember the, the, you know, you're saying, oh, you're saying there's a chance, right? There's a story that gets fit in and our minds are meant to be meaning-making machines. We're always trying to find meanings, right? Again, maybe the evolutionary biologist would say, yeah, because if you can find meaning in things, that's going to help you survive. I don't know. Maybe they would say that. But what I know is that a lot of the way that our memory works... We remember novel information that is key to our survival, if some, if, especially if there's pain, a threat. If those things are threatening us, we're going to remember it. And we're going to remember things that fit into a story, right? Now, friends, we talked about, you know, that, again, a lot of times people talk about selective memory and the way that you fool yourself. Like, I'm awesome. I'm only going to remember awesome things. But I also think selective memory works the other way. You remember ways that you're not awesome. You remember your mistakes. You remember your failures. And you can't stop thinking about it. Some of you. (laughs) I'm one of those people, actually. If I make a mistake, if I do something embarrassing, if I do something that makes me feel foolish or stupid or ashamed, I can't Stop thinking about it. Just keeps playing in my mind over and over and over again. And the maddening thing is that the, the real seductive and just horrible thing about memory is you can't change it. No matter how much you think about it, try to make sense out of it, your mind is going to want to do that because it fits into a narrative. And oftentimes when you already think that you kind of suck, that's the narrative that your brain is going to remember those things. For example, if you think your life sucks, that's the narrative, that's the story that you are in. My life sucks. You could have a hundred great things happen to you that day. Won't remember any of it. But one bad thing happens, and you're going to be like, see, my life sucks. Just proves it. Just proves the point. That's the thing you focus on. Why? Well, one, it's novel information, right? It's pain. It's a threat. 
but also because it fits into the story that you are already telling yourself. Friends, we, this isn't a new thing. This has been happening tale as old as time. People remember things, people forget things, and sometimes people remember things wrongly, but it fits into the story. You're going to see this in the story of the disciples. This is a, 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 it's a, it's a very cool story to me um, because it's a story that we've already heard before, but there's a point to us hearing it again. Right? Does this sound familiar? We were talking about memory and all, all those things. You guys remember talking about this before? There's a very, very similar story that happened only two chapters ago. Right? It's called the feeding of the... How many? Anyone know? Anyone remember? 5,000, right? How many people got fed today in this story? 4,000, right? They're different stories. It happened twice. Right? And that's going to be important. Okay, so let's take a look at the story. In those days, when again, so the, the gospel writer, Mark, is doing us a favor, trying to remind you, again, this, this happened before, okay? When again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And so Some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Remember, they were there, right? It wasn't that long ago. Only two chapters ago. I don't know. Maybe it was like a couple weeks in Jesus' time. But it wasn't that long ago. Jesus' ministry was only three years, right? So it happened within a span of probably, you know, a year. It just happened. And yet... They're like, Jesus, is impossible. We can't feed all these people, right? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. So by the way, odds are a little better this time, right? So last time, 5,000 people, how many loaves? Anyone remember? Five, yes. Five loaves for 5,000. Now we have 4,000, but seven loaves. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. They set them before the crowd, when they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. This is also a familiar element. The last time, they had twelve basketfuls left over. But now they have seven. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately, he got into the boat with the disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. All right, so file that away, friends. We're going to circle back to this. And there's going to be this interlude that I think is related, but a little bit different. But So something different happens, takes their, the disciples' mind off of what just happened. And here we have, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? I can hear Jesus' frustration, Right? Jesus just literally just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And he's like, really? You need another sign? Was that not a sign that I just did? Now, 
To be fair, maybe some people are thinking, oh, but Pastor Steve, maybe the Pharisees weren't there. And maybe you're right, they're in a different region. That could be true. But what we know is the Pharisees came because they heard about the miracles. There's actually stories about the, the, the Pharisees and they're watching Jesus heal someone and they're like, oh, he did it on the Sabbath. Mm, so bad, right? They had seen him perform these miracles. And yet they're like, okay, Jesus, uh, this is the deal. We're going to need a sign, okay? We're going to need a definite sign to know whether you are not, whether or not you are the, the Messiah. And you're like, Okay, talk about selective memory, right? Talk about selective hearing and seeing. What are the, 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 the Pharisees seeing? They're seeing all the things that only fit into their narrative, their story. What is their story? Their story is, hey, this is how God works. God only works in a certain way. Mm, healing someone on Sunday, uh, uh, sorry, Saturday, the Sabbath, not possible. That's not part of our story. God wouldn't do that. How do we know that? that that's the story. Doesn't work that way, right? So anytime things don't fit in the story, they dismiss it. They're like, mm, Jesus is threatening our power. That definitely doesn't fit in the story, right? And so everything is filtered through that lens. So they don't remember all the awesome things that Jesus did to give glory to God, they remember the things that threaten their identity and their position. Right? And so it's never enough. And that's why Jesus says, why does this generation seek a sign? Why? What are you looking for? What certainty are you looking for? Because what Jesus came to do was start a revolution. He came to complete a story that was started long ago. But sometimes this story is very different than the story you are already living. It's a revolution. It's going to be a change. It doesn't fit into the familiar narrative. Right? Nor should it. Right? Pharisees do not want a revolution. They want things to continue in the story that they happen to believe in. That they happen to be the stars of. Right? No other room for another hero in their story. But Jesus is coming to say, no, this story needs to be broken. I'm going to break all your sense of really what religion is about. I'm going to completely shatter it. And they will not hear it. They can't hear it. Right? And I think for a lot of us, we're always looking and we're seeking a sign. We're seeking a certainty. But we're always seeking it on our terms, in our story. Do you ever have like good things happen to you, but it's not the good thing that you really wanted to happen to you? Does it ever happen? You know, like, I don't know, maybe when you're a kid, you got a Christmas gift, and it was a wonderful Christmas gift, but it wasn't the one Christmas gift that you wanted to have. Maybe your parents gave you 15 Christmas gifts. Very generous. You got 15 Christmas gifts around you. But that one thing that you really wanted, whatever it was, you didn't get that. And then what is the narrative now? That Christmas sucked. Man, my Christmas was terrible. I didn't get anything. Like, you didn't get anything. You got 15 gifts, man. Yeah, but I didn't get that one thing. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you're trying to like, get some promotion or you're trying to get into some school. You don't get it. But everything else in your life is actually going pretty awesome. 
You live in America, there's no bombs around you, you have food, right? You get an education, right? You got friends, you got family, like it's a sunny day. There's lots of good things going for you, but mm, I didn't get into that school. My life sucks. Really, does your life suck? Or is it that that thing did not fit into the story the way you wanted it to? So then all the other things you are not listening to. You don't want to hear it. You ever actually have something happen to you that didn't fit in the story but was actually a blessing? Maybe that job that you would have taken would have been a horrible job and you would have hated it. Or the next day you actually found the right job. But if you had gotten what you wanted that fit into your narrative, you never would have got that. How many times does God upend the narrative and bring death into something that you were really looking forward to and it actually turns out to be the greatest blessing? I'm sure the disciples did not want the narrative to end with their leader dying. But it needed to. It broke their narrative. They didn't want to hear that. In fact, when Jesus got arrested, they were surprised. And that's crazy because Jesus kept telling them it was going to happen. But they didn't hear it. Selective hearing. It didn't fit into their narrative. Right? And so, he says, no sign will be given to this generation. I think Jesus is actually saying, I'm the sign. I'm the sign to this generation. It's not what you expected. It is not. You're looking for something that I can't give you. And so you will never find it. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of that substance that they have. That thing that is giving rise to their story. That leaven, right? That's what rises bread. Beware of that, of that which is driving the Pharisees and Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Now, friends, you may have noticed something. Remember, sometimes we have selective memory, and sometimes our memory actually changes to fit the narrative. You ever do that? You know, you actually twist the facts or you ignore things, right? Notice what they say and the ESV very helpfully tells us the fact, right? It's kind of ironic. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And then Jesus says that. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Right? They're probably like, yo, guys, we got no bread. We got no bread. Right? Now... Very helpfully, we put it on the same screen. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. They're discussing that they have no bread. It's not true. They have one loaf with them. Right? What is going on, friends? What is the story that they're telling that causes them to ignore the loaf of bread that is right there? What is the story? What is the narrative? What is the thing that's getting reinforced? I think what it is, is the fact that they didn't bring the bread. We forgot. They forgot, the bre- they forgot to get more bread, right? There was already bread there. So when they tell this story, they're like, we don't have any bread. They're like hanging their heads. Jesus is trying to teach them something. 
about the things that animate our stories, the leaven, right? Don't feed on the leaven of Herod or the Pharisees. Don't go down that route. They can't hear it. Why? Because the only thing they're focused on is the fact that they screwed up. We forgot. We're unfaithful disciples. Oh my gosh, we couldn't do it. And that fact is highlighted by the fact that they even forget the bread that is already there. They're just focused on the fact that they didn't bring bread. That they made a mistake. Oh my goodness, friends. I'm the disciples. Are you the disciples? Man, when I make a mistake, I can't hear anything. I twist everything. I, I misremember facts because that story has become so dominant in my life that I'm a screw up. I make mistakes. And when I make another mistake, like, well, of course. There I go, making another mistake. My wife has to talk to me a lot about this. You know, when I start getting down on myself, like, oh man, I'm such a screw up. She's like, Steve, you've done all these other things really well. Why are you so focused on, one, on that one thing? That novel information, that's a threat. and fits into that story. That's the story I'm living. That's the story that Jesus is trying to break here. And he even says, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And they are, friends. They are hardened. They have become hardened to the reality of God because they are stuck in their own stories. That story of making mistakes, of being failures. Having eyes, do you not see? There's bread right over there, guys. (laughs) Do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? You're not even listening to what I'm trying to teach you. And do you not remember? Yesterday. Yesterday, what happened, guys? And so... He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Friends, I want to do some math problems for you. I know you're like, oh man, (laughs) I hate math. But I promise you, this is going to be kind of fun. Because you're going to see a reality of God through very simple math. This is very simple math. This is like third grade math, okay? Uh, So, uh, this is the math of miracles, okay? Jesus' miracle math. Alright, you guys ready? So, we got word problems, right? Because that's what you do in math class, okay? So, number one. It's your quiz. This will not be graded on a curve. No, just kidding. No extra credit will be given. 5,000 people are fed with five pieces of bread. How many people can Jesus feed per loaf of bread in this story? 1,000. You guys are so enthusiastic about math. Come on now. We can do better than that. Okay, number two. Hey, that was easy. So this one's a little harder. 4,000 people are fed with seven loaves of bread. How many people can Jesus feed per loaf of bread? Now, this one's harder because there's not a definite answer. Really? Oh, I, I may have screwed up my math. <laughs> wait, let's, wait, wait, wait. Is it not 333.3333? Is it not? Yo, I, I'm getting out my calculator right now. Okay? Oh, snap. <laughs> My bad, my bad. See, I told you I'm not good at math, guys. That's why I need your help. Okay, maybe uh, through the power of James Coe, we can change that. Okay, 571 people and change, right? Okay, last problem, guys. 
13 men are on a boat with one loaf of bread. How many people can Jesus feed with one loaf of bread? <laughs> Guys, I mean, to be honest, Jesus don't even need to do a miracle, right? Just don't take a huge piece of bread, right? You're all going to get enough, right? How big is a loaf of bread? Oh, thank you for fixing it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Guys, what are we focused on here? The simple math of it and the simple story of them being with Jesus, they know that Jesus is capable of miracles. But they're not focused on Jesus at all, are they? And by the way, I put an asterisk there. Because it's not just that he fed 1,000 people, but what does Jesus have them pay attention to when he asks them? Let's actually go back. Go back one slide. What is, does he ask them? He said, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? How many did we have left over? Twelve. Twelve whole baskets. And then he says, well, for the 4,000, when I fed them with seven loaves, how many basketfuls did you have left over? He said, Seven. You know, I, I know some theologians, they really pay attention to the numbers. I will tell you that 12 and 7 are very significant numbers. Uh, well, you got the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's not a mistake that Jesus also has 12 disciples, right? For every tribe of Israel. He's creating a new kingdom. He's trying to make that very clear, right? And he has a loaf of bread for each tribe, each disciple. One for you, one for you, one for you. Guys, 13 guys can eat off of one loaf of bread. But he's like, you get a whole basket full. Lucky you, right? And then the, the second story, when there's seven loaves of bread, seven in the Bible is the number of wholeness and perfection. How many days of the week are there? Seven. Why is the mark of the beast such a big deal? Six, 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 six. Because it is falling short of the perfection and completeness of God. Right? So when he's saying there's seven baskets full, it is symbolic to say this is complete. This is whole. Now, this is the question, friends. If Jesus did this miracle with some change, right? And he did it twice. Each and every time, there was plenty left over. What is the conclusion that we are supposed to draw for the next time they don't have enough bread? Jesus didn't run out. He didn't run out of power. He wasn't done. He was still going, right? Like, oh, you thought that was cool? Well, look how much bread we have left over. It doesn't stop. In case the disciples were to get this twisted in their mind, in case they were to think, hmm, somehow Jesus used up all his power. No more. No more miracles. No more provision of God. That was all in the past. That Jesus wants to break that illusion. No, I have enough left over. You can have a whole basket full. And there's more where that came from, friends. Jesus is saying, I am enough. I am enough. I am more than enough for you. My miracles didn't stop. They keep going. My provision didn't stop. They keep going. Somehow, friends, we think that if I made a mistake... Mm. 
God's not going to bless me anymore. Okay, okay, Pastor Steve, that's all good, okay? That's all good. But if I sin, if I mess up, then somehow the blessings stop. Then somehow God's provision stops. Right? Friends, we're focusing on the wrong part of the story. We're focusing on our mistake when we should be focusing on the provision of God. So what about for you? Do you think that God's provision for you has run out somehow? When you make a mistake, do you think somehow God's grace has run out? I remember um, there was this, this group called Cademan's Call that I really liked in college. And they had this song. It was kind of a weird song. It was like on their B-sides. It never got released to the public. Cademan's Call, I don't know. Like, it, it's been a few years, but they, they had that song, God of Wonders. Uh, that, that was really big. God of Wonders Beyond Earth. God. Anyways, uh, they had a song a really long time ago. Uh, called Suicidal Stones. I'm like, what is a suicidal stone? And the chorus is just, take these suicidal stones from my head. And, and what a suicidal stone is, the way you beat yourself up over your mistakes. Right? You're committing suicide. You're stoning yourself. You don't need anyone else to do it, but you're just beating yourself up. And there's this great line in, in the song that says, my sin is not great enough to fell the tree of Jesus. And what they mean by that is the cross. My sin is not great enough to somehow overcome the cross. All of a sudden, I've come up with the, the greatest sins ever. Like the, these sins, like, oh my gosh, you've never seen these sins before. Jesus, mm, you forgave all those sins before, but you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen my sin. It's not like all of a sudden you came up with the best possible sin that all of a sudden God's grace, like it came all the way up to 2018 and like, whoa. Now, Esther's sin. Oh, John's sin. Steve's sin. Mm, no more grace. No more grace. And in case you didn't get the picture, the baskets were overflowing. The grace is overflowing. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. His faithfulness does not stop when you make a mistake. And so friends, the, the, the key is to remember. We went on this retreat last weekend and we had a, a passage that we read in the morning for the devotion. And I actually wanted to pull up this passage because I think it's very, very relevant to what we're talking about right now. This is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 22. Lamentations, by the way, is a, a very hard book to read because this is coming during a, a great time of pain for uh, the people of Israel. They're, their people are in exile. They are suffering. They are not a happy people. And they are crying out to God. And so in verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. And so this person is saying to God, God, remember how miserable I am. And then he, conti- then he says, well, because I remember. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Friends, there is something to be said about self-reflection. You know, I, I don't think self-reflection is bad. Especially if you're like, oh, I'm awesome all the time and I, I don't make any mistakes. And you somehow filter out all the mistakes you make. That's called a sociopath, friends. You, you're going to wreck a lot of lives that way, right? You're going to do a lot of damage. That's not good. You should be somewhat self-reflective. It's important. 
But some of us, it's not just self-reflection. It is a suicidal stone. You're bashing against your head again and again and again. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So the soul is just, it's like like trapped with all of this guilt and shame, just remembering the horrible things again and again and again and again and again and again. What are we focusing on, friends? Why do we do that? We do it because it feels like a threat. It definitely is a threat. And it fits into the story that we believe. That somehow we're less than. Somehow our mistakes, they disqualify us. Somehow we deserve those bad things that are happening to us. And even if it's not a fun story, well, it's a story that gives meaning to us. And we just keep feeding it again and again and again. But, but, the but cuts across the way that this person was thinking previously. But, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is so faithful that in Scripture it says that grace and mercy, it's new every morning. Every day. Every day. Today's Sunday, new mercies, new grace. You thought it ran out? Well, friends, it never runs out. And it's new every morning. It's new. You're going to get more. You're going to get more and more and more. Every mistake you've ever made, it's there for you. That grace and mercy is there for you. And the, the passage ends with verse 24. Actually, we, we went further than 19 through 22. It says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Well, what does that mean? The Lord is my portion. That is another way of saying, The Lord is enough. The Lord is enough. I'm going to rest in Him. Friends, remembering is such an important thing in the Christian life. It's actually what we do once a month. Um, We do communion. And once a month, we retell that story about the bread being broken. Right? And and maybe Jesus wanted this to be more like, like memorable, so he made it visual. He got bread and he broke it. You could see the crumbs falling. Right? And then he takes the cup and he lifts it up. And then he has them eat it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Taste it. Taste the the sweetness of the bread. Drink the sweetness of, well, it would have been wine in that case, but, you know, taste this cup. It's good. It's good stuff. Remember, remember, remember what I've done for you. And Christians, when they would meet, they would always do this. Why would they always do it? Because they need to remember. Friends, we are a forgetful people. But the reality is that we have a God whose faithfulness never runs out. And His story will start to become your story. Now, I'm not saying that you should aim to keep making mistakes again and again and again. I mean, that's not good for anyone. right? I mean, it's just, you know, like, like if there's something in your house like a low-hanging ceiling and you hit your head on it and it really hurts you have a wicked headache you have to get stitches by all 
all means. Don't keep hitting your head against it, okay? But God's health care plan will be always there for you, if you do. Even if you do. He'll always be there to repair you, to fix you back up. Not, one day he's not going to be like, man, you blew it so bad. That's never going to happen. His grace is always there. And friends, only by starting to focus and remember more who God is, can we then start to live into His story instead of our stories of mistakes and failures. Do you hear that, brothers and sisters? When we start to remember that story more, of what Jesus did for us on that cross, He died, His body was broken, like that bread, And His blood flowed like that wine. And He did that for us. For every mistake, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit, it is enough. It is enough. His grace will never run out. And when you start to believe in that story, your life will start to become a part of that story. You ever like make a mistake? And because you made a mistake, you make another mistake. And because you make a mistake, you make another mistake. This happens to like ice skaters all the time. You ever see like, like figure skating in the Olympics? Right? Watch the figure skate. Watch what happens when someone makes a little mistake at the beginning of the program. You know what happens? They continue to make more mistakes. Why? They start getting caught in that story. I can just imagine them. Maybe it's something that they were really worried was going to happen. Their, their, their skate gets caught on the ice, right? And they stumble a little bit. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The story starts playing in their mind. Oh my gosh, it's happening again. I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was going to make this mistake. I am a mistake. I'm never going to get this right. And all of a sudden, they try the triple axel and they're on their butt. Like, oh my gosh. And they get back up. They try again. They're on their butt again. What happened? They're living that story of failure. When you start living the story of grace, when you start living the story of your new identity in Christ, not only did He die for you, like, it's not just to make you feel better, friends. It's to make you a part of a better story. A new identity. You are not a mistake. You are a child of God. And you are a child of God because God loved you so much to make you a part of that story. He adopted you, friends. You're a part of the greater story. You are a part of the story of a God who is infinite and who is enough and whose grace and mercy will never run out. And we need to live from that. Can you imagine what that would look like? Because, by the way, friends, if you're a part of that story, you will still make a mistake. You will. Because you're not, you haven't arrived yet. We haven't arrived to the end of the story. But when you make the mistake then, you can make that mistake knowing the truth that God's grace is available for you. Hmm. Hey, I'm not a mistake. I made a mistake. But I am a child of God. I can rest in this grace. I can live a better story. And you don't need to have that dwell over you. Friends, we need to remember that again and again and again till it sinks in. Can, can we have the praise team come up? And I, I just want us to think and pray. And to remember, it's not always going to be um, a strenuous mental exercise to remember. I think that's why Jesus uses very visual, you know, very tactile things. It's a remembering with who you are. It is a resting in the reality that God loves you. He's for you. His grace is enough.
And so friends, I want us to just take a moment to just rest in that story. You know, don't, don't get caught up in your thoughts and your mind. Yeah, but I did this. Yeah, but you don't know how bad I am. Yeah, but you don't know what mistakes I made. It's true. I don't know any of that stuff. But I know the God we serve. I know the God we serve. I don't need to know how hungry one of the guys was in the 5,000. Oh, but you don't know how hungry I am, God. You can feed 5,000, I'm really, really hungry. I don't need to know that. I know how good this God is, how powerful no matter what your struggle, what sin you committed, what mistake you made, how you fall short, how you haven't met expectations, no matter what it is, friends, God's grace is His love is enough and it's not going to run out. Not today, not tomorrow. He's the Alpha and Omega. So He's there from the beginning. He'll be here when it all goes away. And His grace will still be there. Better story. One that is not defined by our